Welcome to Treasures Old and New from ART. Hi, I'm Joy Jackson. Let's stop in and see what Sam Spade has gotten up to in the Bay Psalm caper. Sam is asked to find Roy Roland, but murder follows on the trail of a rare book. Here's Ivan Curry as Sam Spade. American Radio Theater is proud to bring you an episode of The Adventures of Sam Spade, The Bay Psalm Caper. Sam Spade was introduced to the world in Dashiell Hammett's novel, The Maltese Falcon, and became the prototype hard-boiled private eye character. He was widely associated with the actor Humphrey Bogart, who portrayed Spade in the third movie production, The Maltese Falcon, a movie which, incidentally, was Sidney Greenstreet's first. The Maltese Falcon is the only full-length novel in which Sam Spade appeared, but one of the offshoots was a weekly radio show, The Adventures of Sam Spade, which ran from 1946 to 1951. Sam was portrayed by Howard Duff for most of the run, with Steve Dunn assuming the role for the last 24 shows. Now we invite you to sit back and listen to episode 196 of The Adventures of Sam Spade, The Bay Psalm Caper. Wild Root Cream Oil Hair Tonic and New Wild Root Liquid Cream Shampoo present The Adventures of Sam Spade. Sam Spade Detective Agency. A beautiful woman, sweetheart, is a booby trap. Sam, were you caught? Ah, uh, that is hardly respectful to your employer, Effie. You can take your bill for back wages from the top of the pile and put it on the bottom. Yes, sir. Although, you haven't been paying either end. Well, that's because I like to play both ends against the middle. But, Sam, what about the girl? She was such a gorgeous blonde, and you're so easily influenced, I was worried about you. So was I, sweetheart. Was that man really killed? If not, the morgue should charge him for overtime parking. And is this right? It had something to do with a bookie? A very old bookie, F. Almost unreadable. Uh, stay right on your shelf, little reprint. I will take you down, put you on my lap, and browse you while I dictate my report on a collector's item, which we will call enigmatically the Bay Psalm Caper. Hello, Sam. Hiya, Sam. Uh, date. March 26, 1950. To... No greetings, Sam? No opening remarks? Uh, no opening remarks, Effie. But, Sam, it isn't usually this way. Well, you might as well know. I'll, I'll give it to you straight. We were 20 seconds over, and you were considered expendable. Oh, Sam. <laughs> Stop it now. You wouldn't have wanted me to give up any of my jokes. Oh, no, Sam. I wouldn't want to infringe on your time. All right, then. <laughs> oh, shut up. Date, fill it in. To Detective Lieutenant Dundee, homicide detail, San Francisco Police. From Samuel Spade, license number 137596. Subject, the Bay Psalm Caper. Dear Dundee, The brisk business you and yours enjoyed over the weekend began when Karen Rowland floated into my office. I say floated because how else does a dream travel? She was a honey blonde. Great thing at best, and this was at best. She had been taking good care of herself, I noticed, as she took off her coat, because she was in wonderful shape. Mr. Spade... You're the only one I can turn to. Oh, you couldn't have made a wiser choice. It's quality, not quantity, that counts. I've heard that you give every case your personal attention. Oh, yes, yes. I, I find that close contact between client and detective is very desirable. Uh, you can count on my, my undivided attention. You're so kind. I'm so worried I could cry. I, I have a clean white handkerchief 
or a comforting old right shoulder, as you prefer. The shoulder's very nice today. Thank you. My name's Karen Rowland. What do you charge for a case? Uh, my fees are flexible. In, in your case, so moderate, I'm almost working for nothing. Now, what's the trouble? It's my husband. Oh. Well, right, has suddenly gone up. A uh, change at two, you know. Uh, what about your husband? He's missing. Well, he doesn't realize how much. H how long has he been missing? A week. And you're just reporting it now. <laughs> Hasty type, aren't you? We'd been quarreling. At first I thought he'd left me. Uh, how do you know he hasn't? I don't. But we've always made up when we've quarreled before. This time I haven't heard from him. He left all his clothes and everything. Well, I'll, I'll grant you, Mrs. Rowland, that you don't look like the kind of woman a man in his right mind would leave. Amnesia's a possibility. But uh, why did you come to me? I, I, lo I love it, of course, but, well, I, I'll say it. <laughs> why, why can't you go to the police? Because I think my husband's been doing something illegal. Ah, 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 ah. And, and what's that? I don't know. He wouldn't tell me. He came home one night about two weeks ago and dropped a hundred dollars in my lap and said, go buy yourself a new dress. Uh, well, I asked him where he got the money because he hasn't made any lately, but he wouldn't say. Acted strange, sort of froze up. Well, he came home late every night that week and he was afraid. Finally, he burst out with it. He said he was on a crooked job. That's all he'd say, just that. Did you tell him to drop it? Yes, I did. That's why we quarreled. He was in too deep, he said, and we needed the money. Roy's a printer. He's been out of work a lot. Uh, this uh, mysterious new illegal work he's got into, you have no idea about it? It must have been some kind of printing. His fingers were ink-stained when he came home. Uh-huh. Uh, do you know where he worked? I'm not sure. I followed him one day and saw him go into that new Mott building on Market hmm. Street, you know, the one they... Yeah, yeah, I, mean, I know the one. Well, well, it's a start anyway. Uh, you got a picture of him? Yes, here. Uh, thanks. Anything else? I don't know if it means anything, Mr. Spade, but a couple of nights I heard Roy muttering in his sleep. Oh, that's so. Uh, what was he muttering? Once he said quite distinctly, Don't do it, Keller. Don't do it, Keller. I see. Uh, and he said something else? He said it several times. This other thing, two words, it sounded like bay sum. Bay sum. Bay sum. Are you sure it wasn't bay rum? Uh, maybe he was uh, dreaming of having a close shave. Uh, yeah, okay. Okay, Mrs. Rowland, I I'll see what I can find out. You haven't mentioned money, Mr. Spade. <laughs> haven't I? That hundred dollars he gave me, here it is. Ah. Uh. You didn't buy the new dress. A woman dresses to please her husband, Mr. Spade. Until Roy comes home again, I won't be very interested in what I'm wearing. Well, I spent quite a moment after she left wondering if maybe there wasn't something to marriage. I think about that sort of thing, you know, Dundee, about once or twice a year. Uh, then I think of Mrs. Dundee, and then I'm all right again. Uh, the Mott Building is a newcomer among the veterans on Market Street. A lot of names on the registered directory board. A doctor, a civil engineer, eight attorneys, and a Lexington Swayze Rare Books, sixth floor. That was a reception room with nobody in it. I knocked at the inside door, but nobody paid any attention. I opened it and saw why. Two guys were busy yelling at each other. One was a smooth, white-haired gent with a pince-nez who looked familiar from someplace, bookish type. The other was a chunky, swarthy lad who looked like the only reading he'd ever done was on the Alcatraz Library. You're not dealing with the punks, Sweezy. You try any fast ones on me and I stop you quarter in the mackerel. Don't threaten me. Nick, if you want to do business, you'll do it my way or not at all. I made my investment, and I'm not getting tapped for any more coins, see? You pay the five grand. We'll split it. 
That's final. You two-bit big shot. I'll blast you. I drop the rod, Junior. Or I'll drop you. Huh? Who are you? What's the big idea button in? I said drop it. This ain't a healthy thing for you to do, mister. Well, I'll swallow a vitamin pill and I get going. I don't care who you are. You're not the crowd, Nick Murdo. I always pay back a favor. I'll look for you. Yeah, and you'll find me. Oh, thanks for the assist. These small-time hoodlums are hopeless hotheads. Was he angry because you don't have a first edition of Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm? Eh? What's that? Eh, there's only a pleasantry, sir. Very small. He was here on a quite another matter. But I can take care of myself. One meets all types in this business. <laughs> oh, what can I do for you? My name is Spade. I'm looking for a printer named Roy Rowland. Does that name mean anything to you? Roy Rowland. Roy Rowland. No, I don't know anyone by that name. Am I supposed to? Well, he's had dealings with someone in this building, and I, I thought it might be you. Oh, what well, gave you that idea, Mr. Spade? He's a printer. You deal in rare books. No connection? I'm afraid not. I'm neither a publisher nor a bookseller in the retail sense. My specialty is procurement of rare items for collectors. Sort of a middleman between the dealers and the bibliophile. I see. So if I wanted to pick up a rare book, say a Kipling first or a Gutenberg Bible, uh, you could get it for me. Given proper time, yes. Uh, by the way, Mr. Swayze, do you know Chicago pretty well? Chicago? I know. I've never been there. Ah. Ah. Well, well thank, thanks for your time. Uh, not at all. I hope you find your man. Good reading, sir. The face and polished manner of this charming book expert remained with me long enough to visit your picture gallery, Lieutenant, and check my memory. <laughs> Dapper Dan Swan. He'd been indicted as a con man in charming Chicago eight years ago. Well, the indictment didn't stick. Well, maybe Swan or Swayze was playing straight nowadays. But he wasn't. Then I thought of another name. Killer. It was just the right kind of company for a rare bookman. I just thought of Mission Keller Bookmark. The store was dark when I opened the front door, but... A minute later, the alleyway behind it blazed up like the 4th of July. A dark sedan without running lights roared out of the alleyway as I reached it. Behind the back door of the shop lay a guy with a green eye shade. He'd been locking the back door, the keys were still in his hand. In his breast pocket was a bank book with a bullet through it. It said, account of Carl Keller. Don't do it, Keller. That's what Roy Rowland had said in his sleep. But whatever it was, Carl Keller wouldn't be doing it anymore. I thumbed through the bank book. The entries were mostly $67. The last entry, though, made this very day, was a $5,000 deposit. In his coat pocket was a slip on which was written, Coral Bookshop, Back Rack, Bay Psalm. Bay Psalm, Bay Psalm. If you were muttering in your sleep, that might come out base sum. I looked down at the little dead bookseller and wondered what he had that made him worth dreaming about. I phoned your office for the ambulance and medical examiner. Then I doubled back to Swayze's building to get the answers to a few questions. There was a light in the office. I went in. Swayze was nowhere in sight, but his debating chum, whom I'd relieved of his gun, was there with a friend. A friend had shoulders like an ox. It looked unhealthy in there, but I couldn't just leave. Murdo had gotten hold of another gun and was pointing it at me. Come in, come in. It's a pleasure to see you again, pal. Ah, uh, the pleasure's all yours, Murdo. Yeah, ain't it, though? This time, I got the heater, Borinsky. 
and you'll give me yours, and the one you took off in me. Relax, Murdo. Let's have them. Uh, okay, okay, here's my gun and yours. Thanks, pal. So you're a private sheamus, eh? Redundant, but I suppose I, I should get double billing. You're fooling around Sam Spade, Jr. That's very interesting. Only I ain't fooling. Tiny here ain't fooling either, are you, Tiny? No, I ain't fooling. Uh, he looks like the serious-minded type. Why you been sticking your nose in here? Come on, what do you know? Not very much, Nick. What do you know? Oh, a smart guy. I love smart guys. Come on, let's hear you. Uh, you've got the wrong private eye, Nick. I never had singing lessons. Oh, you hear that, Tiny? He never took lessons. Yeah, boss, I heard. Give him a lesson, huh, Tiny? A pleasure, boss. Hold him. Oh! What did you say? I couldn't hear that. Nuts! Oh, he don't learn much from one lesson, Tiny. Ah! You was just a plain Budinsky, you'd get mm. off with a plane working over. But you're not even the law. You don't work for the taxpayers. We're taxpayers, Tiny. Yeah, sure, boss. We're taxpayers. We can't leave a blabbermouth around. Oh! He, he, he hit me back. He's out on his feet and he's still in there punching? This guy should get a hand, Tiny. Full of knuckles. Makers of Wild Root Cream Oil and New Wild Root Liquid Cream Shampoo are presenting the weekly Sunday adventures of Dashio Hammett's famous private detective, Sam Spade. I lay there for a while. Might have been 20 years, but I, I think it was 20 minutes. When my muscles wanted to move again, they moved. I was still in Swayze's office. Tiny and Murdo were gone. The big clock on the building across the street said 8.10. In the desk drawer, I found a bottle with a couple of belts bourbons to left. They helped. I had things to figure out before I went to bed. I had to get up in the morning wondering... I was just reaching for the door when the handle turned. Well, Mr. Spade, isn't it? To what do I owe this late visit? And what happened to your face? You don't know. Me? How could I? Well, your friend Nick Murdo was here to see you. He, he saw me first. An ox called Tiny used me for a punching bag. Well, you must have had a really tough time. <laughs> yes, I must have. Now I want a few answers from you, fast. I'm a little impatient here. Uh, let's not take that tone, Spade. I'm not responsible for your misfortune. A bookseller named Carl Keller was shot and killed about an hour ago. What do you know about it? Keller? Killed? Too bad. Fine chap. A sound scholar with an extraordinary knowledge of books. And poor knowledge of people. He, he trusted them. Why was he killed? Me? Why ask me? There's nobody else to ask. I'm in a hurry. Sorry, I can't help you. And you still don't know what happened to Roy Rowland? I told you that before. Any more questions? Uh-huh, yeah. Here's one. Why does a con man like Dapper Dan Swan suddenly show up in the rare book business under the name of Lexington Swayze? Spade, I'm sorry you asked me that. I deeply regret this turn of events but I'll have to ask you to walk into that closet. My gun again. Well, that tells me something. Back up into the closet. You know, man, might be a little stuffy in there. Will you walk in or will I carry you in? That'll be so noisy and messy and final. <laughs> These decisions, they're, they're driving me crazy. Okay, okay, I'm, I'm walking. There's nobody in the building, so you can scream your head off tonight. Get in. The closet wasn't built for comfort. Small, dark, and reeking of camphor. Not a place for a self-respecting moth or a man. The key was in the lock on the other side of the door, and there was a wire coat hanger in the closet. Unwind it. 
turn it back into a length of wire, poke through the lock, not much room under the door, but enough. Poke around till you find the key on the floor, drag it inside, you see. One of the things that makes San Franciscans better educated than New Yorkers is the fact that our public library is open until 9 p.m., and the Manhattan Library has been closed for three hours by that time. Of course, it's midnight then in New York, but that's their own fault. Our public library has a rare books department, so I went there. The clock on the wall said 8.45. The man in charge looked like he was 200 years old, but he couldn't have been more than 150. <sighs> now, I, I beg your pardon. Oh, you startled me. This is a library, young man, not a stadium. No need to shout, you know. No, well, I didn't realize I was shouting. Uh, I'd like some information. You can't wish it into your brain, young man. Oh, yeah, you're right, sir. N nevertheless, I'd like some information. I have much to give. I've read a great many books in my time. Someday I shall write a great memoir of my own, telling the world of my astonishing adventures among masterpieces of literature. Uh, well, I'll buy a copy. Uh, right now, I want to know whether Bay Psalm means anything to you. That's B-A-Y-P-S-A. Hey, stimpituosity. Signs of a decadent age. Virtually no one takes time to ponder and reflect and meditate these days. Of course, says such a book. I'm pleased to say we have a copy. Under lock and key, of course. It is valuable. Extremely why well, do you realize, young man, that the Bay Psalm book was the first volume published in the Anglo-American colonies? Ha! <laughs> I, I, I didn't realize it, I, I confess. Ah, yes, it was the very first book published in America. It came out of Stephen Day's printing established at Cambridge, Massachusetts. Of 1,700 copies of the work, only 11 are still known to exist. Hmm. Ergo, any one of these commands a fabulous prize. Uh, how high might be fabulous? If memory serves, the last sale of a Bay Psalm book at an auction a few years ago brought $151,000. Wow. Ah, that's more than I make in a week. In this case, I believe the buyer was Mr. A.S.W. Rosenbacher, the internationally known rare books dealer of New York City. Uh, any such in San Francisco? Offhand, Mr. Felix Backrack of this city comes to mind as a man who's well known in this field. Backrack, Backrack. Ah, now, now, now we're getting someplace. Uh, th thank you very much. Don't rush off, young man. Do you realize that the base psalm book originally brought only 20 cents? Hmm. I must remember to include that in my memoirs. I I'll buy two copies. Nine o'clock. Closing time. Everybody out. Funny how money clarifies a picture. A little collection of hymns published 200 years ago by a man who had trouble peddling the book for 20 cents. Now age and scarcity made it worth $150,000. 151000 And for that kind of money, guys who couldn't read more than the numbers on a racetrack board would think murder was a good risk. On the slip of paper I'd taken from his pocket, I read again the words... Bay Psalm, Backrack Coral Bookshop. I found Backrack's address in the phone book. He lived up on Knob Hill, well, naturally. Parked on the side street not far from his place was a girl who looked familiar. Karen Rowland. Oh, Mr. Spade, I've had good news. Oh, you have? Your husband's back? No, but he's all right. I can't tell you more, but I've heard from him. He's been working on a special assignment. I'm on my way to see him now, and I'm grateful for your interest in all your trouble. Oh, well, thank you for your gratitude. Keep the money, and now you can drop the case. Now, please go. I'm afraid not, beautiful. Oh, please, you must. Roy's life may be in danger if you don't. Well, I took this case when it was only a matter of your husband's dreams. It's cost one life already. I've taken a beating. <laughs> No, no. I, I stay with this baby till it gets to bed. Who's taking you to see your husband? I, I'm not at liberty to say, but I'm sure it's all right. 
Please go, Mr. Spade. Uh, you trust too many guys. But I trusted you. <laughs> That's what I mean. Uh, uh, okay, okay, I'll, I'll go. I left her, but I didn't leave off watching her. I watched her sitting in the car there as I went up to Backrack's door, and when I got inside, I watched her through the window while giving Backrack my other eye. He saw me in his study, a room that had three walls lined with books from ceiling to floor. An affable little guy in his sixties. Sam Spade of a detective agency. Mundane occupation. Yeah, <laughs> even on Sundays. You uh, seem to be dividing your attention. Something fascinating out that window? Ah, uh, just a blonde I don't want to lose sight of. I see. All very mysterious and detectable. Well, what brings you here, Mr. Spade? A book you bought today, Mr. Backrack. The Bay Psalm book. Oh, yes. I made a rather good deal, I thought. I secured it for $130,000. The last copy previously sold brought $151,000. Uh-huh. And you bought it from a Lexington Swayze? Why, yes, I paid him this afternoon. Check or cash? Well, check, of course. Uh, uh, before the bank closed? Yes. As a matter of fact, my bank telephoned to confirm payment of the draft at ten minutes to three. Uh, well, don't look now, but I think you bought yourself a lemon. I don't understand. You're stuck with a phony. But... That's impossible. I checked the book with a well-known bookseller, uh, Carl Keller. He's an authority, and he phoned that it was genuine. The money he got for saying so was genuine. But, but Keller was honest. Yeah, also hard up. Guys sometimes stop being honest when they're hard up. Keller got 5000 for authenticating this book. Seemed like an easy buck, but it cost him quite a lot. He died for it. What? Well, why, that, that's terrible. Terrible. I'll call my attorney and begin suit for recovery of the money from Swayze. Well, your, your attorneys will have, have to do some fast sprinting to catch him. Swayze's on his way to parts unknown, and, uh, uh oh, I've got to be going. I'd seen Karen Rowland come to attention as if she'd received a signal. Then she released the brake and rolled down the hill. She rolled one block and pulled up in front of the Coral Bookshop. But before I could get to her, Nick Murdo and Tiny came running out of it and into her car. They pushed her into the back seat and drove away fast. I found a taxi and followed. The trail led across the Golden Gate Bridge to Sausalito. Murdo's car stopped in front of a two-story Spanish package in an eagle's nest setting high above the bay. I got out of the cab half a block behind and watched Murdo and Tiny take Karen Roland into the house. I saw Tiny come back alone and make for the car. It was very dark, and I got into some shrubbery and made some noise. Oh, what's that? Who's making that noise? It's only me, the old caretaker. Oh, oh yeah. Well, old caretaker, you're going to get taken care of now. Just... Oh! What's <laughs> the big idea? I owe you a few, you big ox. This time there's nobody holding a gun on me while you get the exercise. Now talk! Oh. Talk! I don't know anything. <clears throat> oh. That's for lying. You and Murdo just took Karen Roland in there. What for? Swayze's orders. He's letting her see her husband. Who owns the Coral Bookshop? I don't know. Oh. Oh, uh, who owns it? Uh, Nick Murdo, but he, he don't know nothing about it. Another guy runs it for him. <laughs> oh, what's that for? That's for the lie you're going to tell me when I ask you who killed Carl Keller. Oh, I didn't do it, honest. I, I never use guns. <laughs> oh, who did it? Oh, Nick. Why? Nick, Nick had to pay him five Gs. Nick was afraid he'd yap for more. What's that for? Pleasure, pal. It's a real pleasure. <laughs> I left Tiny cold and tied up in the car, in the glove compartment of which I found my dear very own gun. Then I went toward the light in the house. It came from a basement with barred windows. At the back of the house was a screen door. 
it's easy to slit a screen and unlatch a door. Find the doorway leading to the cellar. And not make too much noise. Listen to what's going on. So now you've seen your husband again, Mrs. Rowland. Your anxiety has greatly complicated my difficulties. As a result of your running to this detective's spade, I find it necessary to leave the country for a while. Very irritating. I've done your work, Mr. Swayze, and you've made your money. We won't say anything. You can let us go. My dear Roland, that's out of the question. I didn't intend to do this, but you leave me no choice. You can't. You can't shoot us. You'll be caught. Yes, he will. Drop it, Swayze. It's, it's just your hand, Dapper Dan. We'll save the rest of you for the state. Uh-uh, Nike. I wouldn't try reaching it if I were you. Get hurt. Mr. Spade! Always ready to serve the client. Oh, but I was so wrong when I told you to stop the search. I don't have any willpower. I never could eat just one peanut. <laughs> And that, Lieutenant, was how I happened to dump Dapper Dan, Nick Murdo, and Tiny Lad into your care, saving you the toll over the Golden Gate Bridge, amounting to one buck round trip, which I'll ask you for at your various convenience. You'll find it difficult to figure out, but nobody else will. Murdo got hold of the stolen copy of the Bay Sound book, of course, called Dapper Dan Swayze in to peddle it. Dapper Dan hired Roy Rowland to print up cleverly forged copies, one of which he offered to Backrack. Keller, blackmailed for 5000 to say the book was genuine, Swayze made Murdo pay it, and Nick took care of Keller. Period. End of report. Oh, Sam, you've gone through so much. You've been beaten up and shot at and locked in a closet. Now, that was nothing. I'd already had the worst blow. The real suffering came when I found out Karen had a husband. Oh, you couldn't go for that sort of woman, could you, Sam? I, I could force myself. Then it wasn't really noble of you to save her husband's life, was it? Oh, that it was. You may address me as Sir Sam. <laughs> now be a good girl, sweetheart, and type that up. Here it is, Sam. But there's something I don't understand. Well, naturally. Unless all precedent is to be shattered. What is it this time? That genuine copy of the Bay Song book? Are there really only 11 copies of it? Well, only 11 that they know about. There may be hundreds. What? Why, you may have one kicking around your attic. But, Sam, I don't have an attic. Oh, too bad. You just lost yourself $150,000. Uh, 151,000. Sam! Uh, yes, Sam. What now? If, if my husband were missing, would you be eager to find him? Your husband? <laughs> you know, you know, such a thought never entered my mind. <laughs> I know it. Oh, Sam. Oh, come here, come here. What's the matter? Oh, never mind, Sam. Mm. Oh, mm. Mm. oh. Oh, mm. go on, beat it. Good night, Sam. Well, all right. Good night, sweetheart. Adventure with Sam Spade was written for radio by David Noenson. Musical production by Lud Gluskin, with score composed by Pierre and Rene Gurenyak. A portion of the program was transcribed. Join us next Sunday when producer William Spear presents another Adventure with Sam Spade, brought to you by Wild Root Cream Oil. Again and again, the choice of men and women and children, too. This is Dick Joy speaking.
You've been listening to a presentation by American Radio Theater of a lost show from the days of old-time radio. The Adventures of Sam Spade, the Bay Psalm Caper, was produced by Joy Jackson and directed by Dave Lees. In our cast, you heard Ivan Curry as Sam Spade, Beth Slansky as Effie Perrine, Holly Chaffin as Karen Rowland, Greg Porter as Nick Murdo, Dan Schindler as Lexington Swayze, Pat McNally as Tiny, Chad Rennie as the Librarian, Chuck Royalty as Felix Backrack, Mike Wheeler as Roy Rowland, and Mary Moore Campagna as the NBC announcer. Live sound effects are provided by Marilyn Wilt, with music by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. This show was recorded at Jack Straw Studios in Seattle, Washington. Recording engineer, Daniel Gunther, with additional production assistance by Ron Ailey. If you enjoyed our program, please visit our website at AmericanRadioTheater.org and click on the podcast button for access to hundreds more. Thank you for listening. I'm your announcer, Anne-Marie Wheeler, and this is ART, American Radio Theater. Let's listen to some music from the days of old-time radio, and it's Jubilee. Here comes a session of Hot Horn Glee, a gang-busting factor of Jubilee. <laughs> Hiya, gang. This is George Dvorak with volume number six and seven-eighths of this solid salad session we refer to as Jubilee. And tonight, the specks and spots are going to be detached from this hemisphere by little Tony Harper, Mr. Round, Firm, and Fully Five by Eight, Jimmy Rushing, and that driving mob of frenzy, Count Basie and his orchestra. And stepping in here to deliver the blows on your waiting ears, Mr. Gene Norman. Twinkle, twinkle, little cat. Here we are with Sharp and Flat. And here to tweak the obligato is that latch on Jack from a groovy grotto. Here he comes with a beat that's wafy, so lose your toupee with the good John Bacy. <laughs>
looks just like a homer with a bass loaded, Mr. Bracey. That rocket from the cradle of the beast. You know, the title of that collection of happy notes was Paradise Squat. Very romantic and right to the point, too. And now here comes something really colossal. The song he sings is one of the very best, too. Let's welcome Mr. Jimmy Russell. somebody your own size. Thank you, Jimmy Russell. Golly, that was as lolly as a warm tamale. Okay, gentlemen of the Count Basie Ensemble, let's find the fuzz of a fat fortissimo with that Basie original called X-1. Thank you. 
How could we ever thank you, Mr. B? That showed all the sharps and flats the time of their lives, I know. And now here comes something to feather the edge off our frantic decibels. She's just nine years old, mind you, but my, oh, my, how she makes the notes fly. We're talking about Miss Tony Harper. Last night I dreamed that I owned a candy store. Last night I dreamed that I owned a candy store. Woke up this morning just like the day before. Got five pennies and I don't know what to do. Got five pennies and I don't know what to do. I need another nickel for the bubble gum I chew. There's a little wagon passing every afternoon at four, and those bells start to ring every time they pass my door. Yes, I love him. I love that good, good humor man. He's got lots of frozen custard. That's how this love began. Yes, sweet little baby, if you didn't get enough, don't you worry about no money. You can put it on the cup. Yes, I love him. I love that good, good humor man. He's got lots of fruity fruities. I could eat it by the hand. He's old, but I'll soon be twenty-four. I'm nine years old, but I'll soon be twenty-four. And the man that I marry gotta own a candy store with cookie rolls and mercy bars and ice cream cones with him a car, cracker jacks and popcorn too, cotton candy that's easy to chew. Cause I feel like a millionaire with candy. Tony Harper singing the blues. Eddie Beale took over at the piano and gave a good backing to those blues. And by the way, Eddie and Herb Jeffries collaborated on that lyric for little Tony. To my mind, the first blues for children ever written. Thanks again, Tony, and Eddie Beale, too. Well, the tempo runs up a few notches now as we call Harry Edison up front from his back row chair in the brass section. With Count Basie and the men counting off the measures, it's a dedication by Buck Clayton to Harry Sweet Edison called... Sweet.
Thank you, Harry Edison. That was a thing called Sweets, written for Harry Edison by Buck Clayton. And speaking of things original, here is something out of the early Basie book. This tune made record history, you'll remember, along about ten years ago, when the good Count Basie was at the famous door in New York City. The door is still swinging, by the way. It featured the late and very great Herschel Evans, blowing a beautiful tenor sax to the melody called Blue and Sentimental. Well, we hear it now in a new arrangement with Paul Gonzalez wearing the mantle of Mr. Evans. Blue and Sentimental. Well, men, we reached down into the bottom of the barrel for this next noodle. Here is that famous All-American rhythm section with Count Basie at the keys, Walter Page on bass, Joe Jones at the skins, Freddie Green on guitar. And to aid and abet, we have Dickie Wells and trombone, Buddy Tate on tenor, and Harry Edison on trumpet. Mr. Basie taps off, and here is the Royal Garden Blues. Thank you. 
Uh, gee, that's all the time I've got for today. Please stop by our website, AmericanRadioTheater.org, for more of our podcasts. You know, we put up a new one every month. Hey, see you next time. Bye. Bye.